in chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses uh, 1 through 8 will be our passage this morning. title of the message is The Sealed Bondservants of God. And this is one of those passages in the Bible, uh, if you were here for the Scripture reading or were listening, that there is an awful lot of confusion about, unfortunately. So much confusion about this particular passage, in, in particular verses 4 through 8, that mentions the nation of Israel and the tribes of Israel and these people being sealed and uh, all of this information that's going on. And if you've been with us, of course, through our study of Revelation, you know that we are into that section of the book that describes the seven-year tribulational period. Uh, when we understand this correctly, anyway, and if, you, if we do that, if we're interpreting the Bible in a particular way, there doesn't, there doesn't need to be any confusion at all. When we just let the text say what it says instead of reading in uh, uh, ideas that just aren't there in the text, I try to emphasize the names as I was reading those verses, verses 4 through 8, where the, where the literal sons of Jacob are named one after the next, after the next, 12 of them. And we'll get into the differences in the names and, and this kinds of thing. But there are 12 names there, and they are very much associated uh, biblically with the nation of Israel. And there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to think that this is describing uh, something other than the nation of Israel and particular people from the nation of Israel who are going to do something in the future. We subscribe to a consistent, literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of the Bible. And this is the same way that you read a letter, the same way that you watch the news, the same way that you interact with the world around us. When we're watching the news or reading the news about the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, we don't, oh, what does, what does Putin represent? Who actually is the nation of Israel? What is meant when it says a hypersonic missile was launched from Russia into Ukraine? I, those would be ridiculous questions. Uh, the, the news, if it's done correctly, is just reporting facts about events that are taking place. And the Bible is very much the same. It is reporting God's word as revealed to us in this written form. And of course, there are figures of speech and these kinds of things used in the Bible because the Bible does at times use poetic language and these kinds of things. Of course, the book of Revelation we've already seen has figurative language and, and these kinds of things, and we'll get into some of that later. But the difference is, or the Bible, not the difference, so the Bible gives us very clear signals when it is using figurative language. And what we'll find out when we study this today is that those clues aren't there when it comes to verses 4 through 8. It's just a very plain statement 
being made there. So as we allow the text to just speak for itself as good Bible students, we'll understand what the text is saying and we can apply it appropriately. That will be the, that will be the goal today at any rate. We find ourselves again here in this uh, third and largest section of the book where John in, from Revelation 1.19 is told to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. That's what John is describing here for us. Things that will take place after these things. Things that are future from where we are living today. And we're in the midst of this sealed scroll being opened by the Lord where God's uh, punishments, if you will, are being laid out upon the world. And we've tried to emphasize also that this isn't just God being mean and uh, punishing sin from heaven for no purpose. There's a very specific purpose for this. And God, in fact, in the Old Testament, uh, very much warned the people of Israel that these these kinds of events were going to take place because of their disobedience and because of the world's disobedience, in fact. He is going to, at some point, have to punish the world so that it can be the way that he wants it to be, the way that he created it to be. Uh, And that's very important for us to realize very important for us to realize that the book of Revelation is not just a standalone book that we can go to without uh, uh, any kind of knowledge of the rest of the Bible. If we do that, we're just, we're just getting ourselves into a lot, of, a lot of trouble and we're going to misinterpret the things that we see in this book. Like verses 4 through 8, we're going to come up with some kind of fanciful idea. Well, well, of course, that's the church. It must be the church because it talks about people being sealed. So obviously, when it says Israel and lists the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, it, of course, it's talking about the church. These are the kinds of conclusions you come to when you don't fit Revelation into the overall scheme of the Bible and and the goal of these of these punishments and judgments that we see being poured out on the world is this the kingdom which is promised to the nation of Israel essentially when they trust in God they will have that kingdom and it's going to take discipline uh, from the Lord for them for that to take place and we have already seen six of these judgments that will come upon the world in the future tribulational period, future seven-year period of time that, that essentially leads into the kingdom period that uh, is very, very much and very obviously promised in the Bible. In fact, there are entire books of the Bible written about this period of time, Zephaniah being one of those. An entire book of the Bible to describe the fact that there will be punishment, a time of judgment and intense tribulation before God comes to dwell with his people. It's just very, very obvious. Revelation is giving us the details of that period of time. 
And it begins with a pseudo peace. We saw the first seal, the rider on the white horse. This is very much in conjunction with Daniel 9, 27, that says that this period of time will begin with a covenant or some kind of treaty with the nation of Israel and with, with the world. That's, that's a pretty good description of what we see going on there in the first seal, a pseudo peace. Second Thessalonians, very clear. Paul says that people before the, the judgments really start being poured out on the world are going to be talking about peace and safety. We just watched a, uh, Suzanne and I watched a video, very interesting, of uh, just this past week of a, a Jewish person, actually, who his YouTube channel is dedicated to going out into the streets of Israel and asking people questions. And you can send your questions to him. And uh, one of the questions was, uh, why isn't Jesus the Messiah? Obviously, Christians would be interested in this kind of thing, so they send in their uh, questions. Why don't you, as Jewish people, believe, and Muslims, there are an awful lot of Muslims, of course, in, in the nation of Israel, not just the Gaza Strip and the quote-unquote West Bank. There are Muslims in the actual nation of Israel, unlike uh, the surrounding nations that don't have hardly any Jews or zero Jews. They're not allowed to live there. They're actually allowed to live in Israel. At any rate, uh, they asked uh, a lot of Jewish people, why isn't Jewish the Messiah? Well, there's no peace. There's no safety. Uh, the, the world isn't great. So, oof, that's kind of scary. First seal comes along. Yeah, that, is, that is a perfect description of what the Antichrist is going to do. He is going to offer them peace and safety and the way the world is supposed to be. What do you think people, Israel also, incidentally, a very uh, secular nation, the overwhelming majority of, of even Jewish people who live in Israel are uh, not quote-unquote, practicing Jews. They're secular Jews. And, and what do you think their uh, perception of what the world is supposed to be like is? It's our little guy with his rainbow uh, peace sign tattoo. I guarantee you that is going to be their idea of what the world is supposed to be, and they're going to believe in him. And then there is going to be war with the second seal, probably some kind of biblically significant war we've talked about. Following that, the third seal, famine and, uh, and economic upheaval on an unprecedented scale. Then the fourth seal happens, and it's death on an unprecedented scale. More war, more famine. Uh, now disease, wild animals literally uh, killing people. A quarter of the world's population is killed in this time. And Hades is following after the rider on the pale horse, an indication that these, uh, in large part, these, this is going to be the death of, of unbelievers. I don't, I don't think that it's going to be that no believers are going to be killed or die during this time. We know that because of the fifth seal, which is martyrdom. We see uh, when the fifth seal is broken, a great number of martyrs, people who uh, would not deny their faith in the Lord in spite of intense persecution during this uh, tribulational period. 
Uh, Of course, believers from the church age who have been martyred will be martyred before the church age ends. They're not going to be uh, souls under an altar in heaven at this point in history. They're going to be resurrected. They're going to be in resurrected bodies because they're members of the church age. The Lord is going to come for them, come for us before this time period begins and catch us up to meet him in the air and take us back to the Father's house in a body that is instantaneously changed according to 1 Corinthians 15 to be like the Lord's body is now. So this clearly is describing uh, martyrs from the tribulation period. And then the sixth seal will be broken by the Lord, incidentally, a, a point that we've very much emphasized. The Lord is the one breaking these seals. He is responsible for these judgments being poured out on the world. And now we see great uh, signs on the earth, a great earthquake that's unlike any other earthquake that has ever taken place. The sun will be darkened. The moon will look as if it's blood. It will turn red, not, not just an eclipse, but something that is miraculous, an, an unpredictable event. That's why people are scared and stars fall, start falling from the sky, not just a, a meteor shower, but I think it's probably literally stars, constellations losing their their forms. The very foundations of heaven and earth are being shaken here. And people are very scared. Uh, and personally, I would I would attach all of these events to the first half of the tribulation and and Personally, we don't need to start a new church or anything. I would even, over this issue, I would even put the seven trumpets in the first half of the tribulational period, and we'll get into that more as we make our way through uh, chapters 10 and through 15, essentially. Uh, but at any rate, still obviously very the very beginning of the tribulational period here. And then we have this question at the end of chapter 16 and verse 17, these, these peop- great people, people from every strata of society, kings, military leaders, business leaders, slaves, free men, everybody is horrified of these judgments that are taking place for very obvious reasons. And they say in verse 17, for the great day of their wrath, that of the father and the son has come and who is able to stand? Well, verse chapter 7 answers that question. Who is able to stand during this intense time? And so today we'll see the sealed bondservants of God. We'll have a respite in, this, in the action, if you will, kind of a timeout. Uh, and then it, we'll see a sealing and a nation. Again, Chapter 7, here's kind of a, just a rough outline of what we'll see in chapter 7. Uh, the ones who are able to stand, that is what is being described here in chapter 7, answering that question from verse chapter 6 and verse 17. We'll see the five angels introduced in the first three verses, and then we'll have the giving away the answer ahead of time. I think you're all pretty 
uh, confident in what I was going to say there about who these 144,000 are. 144,000 Jewish witnesses in verses 4 through 8. And then a believing multitude, the result of what these 144,000 will do is seen in verses 9 through 17. An incredible multitude of people from every corner of the world, from every tribe, every language, every nation of people are seen here in heaven praising the Lord because of this incredible salvation that they have in Christ. But it begins chapter 7 with a respite, kind of a break in the action. Revelation 7 and verse 1, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Notice that first phrase in, in the Greek there, it is metatauto. And uh, it means literally after this. That is a, a, a point that we have tried to emphasize also as we're making our way through this. That indicates that this is, this is happening in time and it's largely chronological, that phrase means. After this, meta, according to the low nita uh, lexicon, which is kind of low and nita, they're kind of the people who are behind the new international version, uh, which has its downsides, like every uh, translation of the Bible kind of has its, its downsides. Uh, and has its good points also. But they define this term meta as a marker of a point of time closely associated with a prior point of time. So indicating to us that these are chronological events that we are seeing take place here. After the sixth seal was broken, then something else happens. Uh, then we're going to get some more information. Clearly, from this chapter, we see that it's not uh, describing another subsequent event, but after these things took place, now I saw this. And he's going to describe what we're going to see here is a description of other things that were going on during the time that the six seals were being broken, kind of taking a, a uh, it's like the halftime show of a football game or the basketball games. It's March Madness now. Uh, I haven't watched any basketball, but I'm familiar with the process that they play 20 minutes, they take a break, and during the 20 minute, uh, during the halftime, they review the things that took place during the first half of the game. Look forward to things that may probably are going to take place during the second half of the game. This is what we are seeing take place here. Uh, so basketball has a biblical uh, foundation there, I guess. So don't feel guilty when you're watching the game this afternoon, I guess, to say. Uh, at any rate, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. 
And so first off, it's, it's important for us to see that this is figurative language being used here. Uh, there are four literal angels, obviously, standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, some folks may jump on this and say, oh, see, it's a flat earth, and they're standing at the corners. It's right there. According to the Bible, there's four corners on the earth. It's a square, and uh, it must be flat. And so we know when the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. We know that the earth isn't flat. And of course, I can show you from the Bible that the earth isn't flat. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22, it says, it is he, speaking of God, who sits above the NASB says circle of the earth. That Hebrew term is often used to describe a ball, a spherical object, probably would be better rendered. It is he who sits above the sphere of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And if that weren't enough, Job 26, seven says he stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Job, probably the first book of the Bible written, he had a very uh, solid foundation of cosmology. He knew that the earth was suspended in space, according to, to that verse. No, the earth is not flat. People are very serious about this uh, idea that the earth is flat. I've had people, multiple people come up to me in airports and say, well, and ask, as a pilot, you know the earth is flat, right? I mean, you've, you've seen it, right? I, uh, no, <laughs> no, in fact, I, I haven't, I would kind of say the opposite that, uh, I think the way that we fly airplanes proves that the world is round, let alone, or a sphere, let alone like satellite images and these kinds of things, rather ridiculous, but true. Uh, at any rate, the four winds, what is being discussed here with the whole, these four angels are holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Now, this could be uh, describing a period of time where there will be no wind blowing on the earth. And that would actually, that would be kind of a, a detriment. Uh, trees and plants and these kinds of things, uh, food that we rely on would have a hard time uh, growing. Things that need to be, uh, I can't think of the word, the, uh, like what bees do. What is it? Pollinate. There it is. They won't be pollinated if there isn't any wind. But I don't think that's what's being described there. This again is figurative language describing that these four angels are holding back judgments so that something can take place in the future. In fact, then the very next verse, the very, uh, well, verse three tells us that don't harm the earth until something else takes place. And again, this is another phrase that's used in another place in the Bible. Jeremiah 49 verse 36 the Lord says, I will bring up upon Elam 
the four winds from the four ends of heaven and will scatter them to all these winds. And there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. Uh, In other words, these four winds are describing judgment. And that becomes very obvious as we make our way through the passage that these four angels are holding back judgment that is about to come upon the earth and for now, however, it is being restrained. There is no wind or no judgment that is going to take place during this time out, if you will, uh, upon the earth, upon the sea, or upon the trees. And we see, well, we will see in Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 through 13, that these trumpet judgments, that's exactly where these first four trumpet judgments are going to take place. They're going to be judgments poured out on the earth, on the seas, on trees. The very things that are mentioned here that the, that the quote-unquote wind is not going to be blowing on. So we have this break in the action. Verse 2 uh, says, well, verses 2 and Three say, and I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So we have this break in the action. And here's our a uh, slide that describes this tribulation period and the three types of judgments or the, the three series of judgments that will be poured out on the earth during this time. The first six seals, Revelation chapter 6 describes those. And then we have this gap, Revelation chapter 7. Uh, uh, Andy Woods calls these uh, gaps that we have here a non-chronological parenthetical insertion. Uh, That's a mouthful for you. To all to say that there's a break in the timeline where the Lord will describe this time, describe things that were taking place during this period of time and perhaps could even be taking place during this future period of time also, because we will see these 144,000 witnesses again later in the tribulation and and describing some of the things that they're doing uh, even up to this point in time. So then Revelation chapter 8, we'll see the seventh seal broken. Four of the trumpet judgments will be in chapter 8. Then chapter 9 will describe a couple more. And then we'll have another non-chronological parenthetical insertion or another halftime. Maybe this is more like a hockey game, actually. Three periods, yeah, for Michigan people. This is a hockey game. That's what the tribulation is. So we're at the, the first intermission here after the first period. Then we'll have the second period second intermission, and the third period is just like a hockey game when it gets really exciting with the seven bowl judgments. But Revelation chapters 10 through 15 is also one of these breaks describing 
some things that are taking place during this, I believe, this first half of the tribulation. We'll see the Antichrist, more details about the Antichrist in, in Revelation 13 and, and just some of the things that are going on and even somewhat a look, look ahead in some of these trumpet judgments. So yes, it's largely chronological, but sometimes you have to realize that we're taking a break, looking back at other events, maybe even looking forward to some events that take place. But for the most part, it's very much a chronological book. And in Revelation 7, we're in this first intermission, this first break in, in the narrative. And during this break, we see this sealing that is going to take place. Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3, we see this angel ascending from the rising sun, having the seal of the living God, saying, don't carry out these judgments until the sealing or the seal is applied to the bondservants of our God. This is another angel. So we had the four angels who are restraining judgment, and now we have this fifth angel that is coming from the rising of the sun. The, the sun rises in the east. And there are, there are a lot of places in the Bible that describe the Lord's help coming from the east, which is interesting. Uh, in the future tribulation period, uh, there will be a temple that's described in great detail in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. A lot of detail about this future temple that will be in place during the millennial kingdom. Uh, one difference with this temple as opposed to the temple during the, uh, the second temple is that the Holy Spirit is actually going to be there in this temple God, Jesus Christ, is going to be there, and he's going to come there from the east. Ezekiel 43 and verse 1 says, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Isaiah 63, 1 describes Jesus Christ coming at the, at the second coming, coming from the east to Israel. He comes from a place called Basra, which is actually to the east of Israel. Uh, Psalm 121, we look to the Lord for our help. He is the one who, who helps us. Uh, and so this angel coming from the rising sun is symbolic of our help coming from the Lord from the east. Now, east is a, is a uh, direction of the compass that we kind of have to be careful with because sometimes it's used to describe uh, things that aren't good, like Adam and Eve when they were uh, excluded from the Garden of Eden. They went to the east uh, when the people decided to disobey the Lord and not uh, fill, the, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After the flood, they settled in the east, in Babylon. They built the Tower 
of Babel there. Babylon is east of Jerusalem. The, the children of Israel were taken to the east when they were taken into captivity. Uh, a great army we're going to see in Revelation will come from the east. So it's almost like when our trouble comes, the Lord kind of comes with it and helps us. We can look to him for help in the midst of, of our trouble. Another uh, bit of symbology here, John, of course, he's writing this from the island of Patmos, which is to the west of Israel. So we're looking towards uh, Jerusalem and Israel, and that's where our, where our help is. But at any rate, this angel is coming from the rising of the sun uh, with this seal and he's not to, and there isn't to be any judgment until this sealing takes place. And again, another indication, words like this, little words that are easy to skip over, shows us that there is a chronological sequence here. Nothing else is, no other judgments are going to take place until this sealing takes place, and then there will be more judgment. And now uh, there's a lot of confusion of, about this seal. What exactly does this mean? Uh, is this symbolic of every believer uh, during the tribulation period? Is this something that we have now? Is it only something for the future? Is it for everybody who believes in the future? And so to, in order to dispel some of these ideas, We'll just go to the text and let the text say what it says and not read things into it. First off, we need to realize this is a, this is a very different seal or sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. We're not talking about the roof over our heads here. Uh, a seal that is from an angel. It comes from the Lord, obviously, but it's given to an angel and then it is placed upon these individual people. And it's very obvious that this is a seal for physical protection for these individuals who are receiving it. That is, that is pretty clear from the text that these people are going to be protected from physical dangers during the tribulation period. Very different from the seal that we have. This is something that the Lord did at a previous time in the book of Ezekiel during the, the Babylonian uh, time period when they were, the people of Israel were under judgment from Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel 9 and verse 4 says, The Lord said to him, to Ezekiel, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. And it goes on to say that these people who have the seal put on them, who aren't going along with the idolatry that was very prevalent in Jerusalem at this time, they're going to be physically protected by the Lord when judgment comes. That's very similar uh, to what we see going on here. Uh, and it's most likely protection during the first four trumpet 
judgments that are judgments that take place on the earth, on the seas, on the trees that are going to have widespread uh, effect upon the earth and people on the earth as Revelation 9, 4 describes to us the fifth trumpet, these, uh, these demonic creatures are going to be unleashed upon the earth. Uh, it's going to get exciting, I'm telling you. Uh, the bottomless pit is opened in the fifth trumpet judgment. These demonic beings go out into the world, and here is their uh, instructions. They were told not, uh, Revelation 9, 4, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these 144,000 Jewish people are going to be physically protected during the tribulation period. And it's 144,000 people. No reason to think that this is describing anything other than 144,000 people who are protected for a specific purpose so that they can serve God during the tribulation period. And we don't want to draw too many conclusions about uh, what this uh, ceiling is or or what it means. Uh, It does not mean that every believer in the tribulation period is going to be sealed. That's not what the text says, according to verses 4 through 8. It doesn't mean that every single saved person is going to have this same protection. It is a sealing for for physical protection for these 144,000 so that they can do something for the Lord. And I think that verses 9 through 17 give us a very clear indication of what these 144,000 are going to do. The results of their service to the Lord are that there is this incredible multitude of people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in heaven praising the Lord because they're saved, in large part because these 144,000 were protected from these incredible judgments that are going to take place on the earth. And they're going to hear the gospel and be saved. They're going to trust in the Lord and be saved as a result of the work of these 144,000. Now this ceiling that takes place is very different than the seal that you and I have and enjoy on the basis of being believers in Jesus Christ. We are sealed not by an angel, but by the Holy Spirit. We, as far as I can tell, don't have a mark that anybody else can see. I think that this sealing that these 144,000 are having is most likely something that other people are going to be able to see because we're going to find out later that there is a mark that other people are going to receive that will be visible. The mark 
of the beast or the mark of the Antichrist is going to be something that people will be able to see. This probably is something similar to that, but obviously very different as it is the the seal of the Lord, the mark of the Lord that they have for this physical protection. We don't have that. Our, Our seal that we have from the Holy Spirit is something that is given to us on the basis of belief, trust in the Lord and his provision for our sin. It is for believers in Christ. Ephesians 1 in verse 13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So while there is a, a common word here that the, uh, of seal that these 144,000 are receiving, that's basically where the similarities end, just using the same word. Our seal comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes at the moment of belief in the Lord, trust in the Lord for his provision for our sins. It is given as a pledge of our inheritance. It's not for physical protection. The Bible is very clear that we face many, many physical difficulties in this life. We, we prayed about some of those this morning before the service began some of the physical difficulties that we face. We see, uh, as Joe mentioned in Sunday school, martyrs around the world today. Uh, Christians are very much in the, in the sights of physical difficulties in this life. However, this seal uh, gives us the hope of a, a future inheritance. It is a pledge of our inheritance. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us today. It's as sort of a down payment on the fact that we have a future with the Lord. We have a future inheritance with him to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit indwells us as part of this seal of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. We're all uh, sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It is, a, as I mentioned, a guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 also mentions this. It says, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, this pledge of the future that we have with God. This sealing of the Holy Spirit that we enjoy is for service uh, so that we can serve God now, not during the tribulation period, but we receive the Holy Spirit in order to serve him now. Uh, goes right along with our, sometimes we refer to them as spiritual 
gifts. They're gifts of the Spirit that are given to us as believers so that we can serve Him. And there there are a number of gifts that are given. Uh, some people have the gift of hospitality or administration, helping with these kinds of things, uh, leadership, teaching, obviously, is a spiritual gift. And the, the giving is a spiritual gift. Some people uh, are gifted to be generous in this kind, of, this kind of a way, but all of these gifts come from the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 6 Paul says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And he goes on to describe uh, some of those gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as well describes these gifts of the Holy Spirit that all have to do with this uh, sealing, this seal that we receive from the Holy Spirit at the moment Uh, believe. Very different from this angelic sealing that we see here that is protection for these, physical protection for these 144,000 so that they are not harmed by these judgments that are to come upon the world, given to them during this uh, first intermission, if you will, before the trumpet judgments come upon the world. And so I think that it's, uh, again, that we don't want to draw too many conclusions uh, about about this seal. I think it's pretty clear that not every person who believes in the Lord is necessarily going to have this seal, the text doesn't say that. It says that it's for the 144,000. And also something that we don't see in this tribulation period specifically described is the Holy Spirit sealing people or indwelling people during the tribulation period. That's something that is unique to us living today in the church age. Uh, This is a a very, it may not seem like it 2,000 years down the road, but this is a unique time in history uh, where the Holy Spirit in the church, in you and me, is restraining evil in this world. And in fact, is restraining the Antichrist from being able to come into this world. We learned that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, this Uh, sometimes referred to as the restrainer, but it is the one who restrains holding back the Antichrist until it is taken out of the way, and then the Antichrist will come upon the earth, the restraining influence being the Holy Spirit that is in the church. When the church, in other words, is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist will come into this world. So who is this ceiling specifically for? It is for a specific nation and not even the entire nation. A portion of the nation is sealed so that they can be the bond servants of God. 
Now, I guess in order to save some time, I won't read the verses again, uh, verses 4 through 8, but the, the 12, maybe not necessarily the 12 tribes, but 12 tribes are mentioned uh, here by name, repeated over and over, these different names, different tribes, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, 12,000 from the next tribe. A very definite descriptor of a particular nation that anyone who's familiar with the Bible ought to know who it is. The nation of Israel, of course, is described by these 12 different names being enumerated for us. The first thing, the first part of this that we ought to see is this number that is mentioned. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So, so how many were there? Uh, It couldn't possibly just mean 144,000, couldn't it? It's got to be something more exciting than that. Uh, Well, uh, we could make it exciting. We could read into it whatever we want. But the fact of the matter is that it says 144,000. So the safest bet is to go with the idea that when it says 144,000, it means 144,000. And when you read the commentaries on this particular passage, I mean, if you want some good entertainment, uh, it's, it can be sort of entertaining. The problem with this is that if this number means something other than 144,000, well, what about the other numbers that we find in the book of Revelation? Like, are there 15 seals and 23 trumpets and 18 bulls, or are there seven of each one? Uh, Revelation 9.16, another number that is mentioned the num- uh, in the sixth trumpet judgment. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. I, I would estimate that number to be pretty close to 200 million are going to be in that army that is going to invade from the east. Uh, Revelation chapter 17 mentions some more numbers. Revelation 17 Verses 9 through 13, a description of Babylon. Oh, by the way, when we read Babylon, we don't, that doesn't mean Washington, D.C. It doesn't mean Jerusalem. It doesn't even mean Rome. It means Babylon. The same way that 144,000 means 144,000. This is the beauty of literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. We don't have to use our imagination to come up with something interesting. It's interesting enough to try to uh, figure out what it means and to see. It's very interesting to me to see how the world is rushing headlong to this situation that we read about in the book of Revelation. So Revelation 17 describes a city 
and it talks about it having uh, seven heads, which are uh, seven kings, it specifically says. And it also talks about uh, the ten horns, who are ten kings. So how many kings should we be looking for? 126? Or should they be looking for ten? That's probably going to be ten. And seven previous, and then ten in the end, and these kinds of things. All of this to say, uh, and oh yeah, don't forget Revelation chapter 20, when it says a thousand years after the end of the tribulation, after Christ comes again and defeats the armies of the world at Armageddon, there's going to be a period of time that's 1,000 years where he will rule and reign upon the earth. And believers will rule and reign upon the earth for a 1,000 years. It states it six times, at least in those verses. And that number doesn't mean an indefinite period of time. It's, there's nothing there to say that it will be like a thousand years. It says it will be a thousand years, a thousand year kingdom. That's why we call it a millennial kingdom. It will last for uh, 1,000 years. So the number is not uh, some expansive number. It's not, it doesn't mean everybody. It doesn't mean a billion. It means... 144,000 people. Very, very clear. And they are the 144,000 bond servants of God. Again, these, the theories of the non-literalists are, are extraordinary. And the, the way that they come up with their uh, fanciful ideas. Well, the probably the main one is to say that, well, 12, 12, of course, that's a number of completion. And we see 12, well, there's 12 tribes and there's 12,000 from each tribe. So we take 12 times 12 and we get 144 and then we multiply that by a thousand and a thousand is even, it, that's like the super completeness number. So clearly this 144,000 means all of the church. And it, um, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not sure where you're getting that. It's not 12 times 12 times a thousand. It's 12 tribes with 12,000 from each tribe. So even though maybe it, uh, the number 1,000 is super special, but the number 1,000 isn't included in the formula here, it's 12 times 12,000. So it's not describing the church today. The church is not present here in uh, chapter 7. We haven't seen the word church since chapter 3, and now we're even starting to see the, the word Israel being used here uh, in verse 4. Uh, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Israel doesn't mean church. It means Israel, we're going to see. It's not, it's not describing only saved people in the tribulation. It's not describing martyrs from the tribulation. 
It's describing 144,000 bond servants. The Greek term there is doulos, uh, who are going to do some sort of service for the Lord. So uh, the historicist, I have this uh, wonderful book, uh, kind of a commentary on the book of Revelation, Four Views of Revelation by Steve Gregg. It's a pretty easy to understand uh, commentary. And I, if I remember right, he is from the idealist or spiritualist camp. But he gives a very fair treatment to uh, a futurist viewpoint like ours, also historicist and the preterist. He gives each of the four views a very fair treatment. And it's just kind of... Uh, very interesting in various places. The, the, a historicist interpretation, now, uh, present-day historicist is going to be someone uh, like a Seventh-day Adventist. You may see that they, uh, from time to time, they'll have billboards talking about their prophecy conferences and this kinds of thing. You want to be very careful, obviously, about things like that. They are historicists, and they see this the 12 tribes represent the church. That's interesting. I'm not sure how you, how you get that. But when you read Israel, it actually means the church. Interesting. Preterists, on the other hand, now preterists, of course, they see the book of Revelation as describing only the past. It, it, this is basically describing AD 70 and the time leading up to the destruction of the temple. Uh, nothing future. A strict preterist would say nothing in this book is describing the future. They they come a, actually a little bit closer to the truth. They see this uh, chapter as describing the people who were protected during the time when the Romans came and destroyed uh, Jerusalem in AD 70. So these were Jewish people who were protected during the siege in AD 70 idealists, or I think they like to call themselves the spirit, the spiritual interpreted. It sounds so nice. Here's, here's what the, the author says. The number 144,000 is symbolic. Okay. Uh, that's, it doesn't say that he makes it very, just right. Like Rush Limbaugh, stop the tape. Uh, <laughs> He makes it very clear uh, from verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. I heard the number, 144,000. It doesn't say I heard the number and it was like 144,000. That would be an indication to us that it's figurative language or symbolic language. Uh Steve Gregg goes on. He says, the number 144,000 is symbolic, derived by multiplying 1,000, the basic military division in the camp of Israel, okay, by 144, which is 12 squared, symbolizing the faithful remnant of the old Israel and the new Israel, thus forming the true spiritual Israel the church. Notice this. In any age, it is the church that is preserved from God's judgments upon nations, though this does not mean that the church does not suffer at the hands of sinners. Interesting. So, uh, 
when we read sons of Israel, that means the church. When it, I'm not sure what it means when it's listing each one of the names. But at any rate, uh, they see this as describing the church the church in any age. So the church has always existed. I mean, there's just a number of problems with this when clearly the church is something that happened after Christ, after he died, after he was buried, after he resurrected, rose again, uh, and went to heaven again. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on people for the first time, unique event in history, Acts chapter 2, Paul describes this body as a mystery, a previously unrevealed truth over and over throughout his writings. And the church will end with the rapture of the church uh, at some point in the future before this tribulation begins. So all of this making this symbolic is, is a stretch exegetically or grammatically uh, the words on the page, you've really got to stretch your imagination to see this as anything other than 12,000 from the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. That's, that is the conclusion we come to using a consistent, literal, grammatical, historical interpretation. 144,000 Jewish bond servants or slaves, workers for God. Uh, uh, John Wolverd sees these 144,000 as, as bond servants who will be protected throughout the tribulation. They're pictured with the Lord in uh, chapter 14. Uh, when the Lord comes again, uh, I'm not sure that that's completely correct. We'll be there uh, as believers from the church age when the Lord returns again. But at any rate, they are definitely protected at least for these first four trumpet judgments that are to come. Uh, they fulfill a role that is very similar to you and me uh, with this protection that they have. We are protected by the Lord until he wants to call us home to be with him. We are his bond servants. We are to empty ourselves and serve one another like Christ did Philippians uh, chapter 2 tells us this is our reasonable uh, service of worship. Romans chapter 12 tells us this is how we worship the Lord, being a servant for him. We're empowered to do this by his Holy Spirit. So as, so as these are, these 144,000, they're actually nowhere called witnesses in the scripture. They're called bond servants of the Lord or slaves of the Lord, but we can take away from the following verses 9 through 17 that the results of their work are this incredible multitude of servants or uh, believers who are the result of their service. And where do they come from? They come from the nation of Israel. <laughs> And there's, a, there's the result of that wonderful movie uh, that we have. The 12 tribes uh, of the nation of Israel. Very, very plainly obvious that the 12 tribes of Israel are being described. So there's a whole lot of takeaways from that. That the uh, 10 tribes aren't lost. 
They, uh, Jewish people may not know what tribe they come from, but the Lord does, and he's going to seal 12,000 people from each of the tribes at some point in the tribulation period. They're going to be protected so that they can serve the Lord. And the sons of Israel... uh, not a point that we need to overemphasize. You can go to those passages. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. A nation was promised to come from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, very clearly delineated in Genesis 28, Genesis 35, many other places in the Bible. Uh, the names of the 12 tribes are listed about 19 or 20 times in the Old Testament. There are different lists in different orders many times. Uh, this list in Revelation being no exception. You may have noticed that uh, the name Dan did not appear. Uh, Ephraim was not mentioned in this particular list. However, uh, Levi was included. He's oftentimes left off, off the list. Uh, and Joseph was included. He many times is not included in the list. Instead, his two sons are included, Ephraim and Manasseh, when we see these lists. So not that, they're, that these are contradictions. They're just different ways of listing the nation of Israel that is made up of 12 different tribes. Here, these sons of Israel, 12,000 of them from each tribe being uh, sealed as servants for God in the tribulation period. So when we see Israel, it means Israel. Not uh, everywhere Say it again, everywhere we see Israel in the Bible, it means Israel. Every single time we see Israel in the Bible, it means in some capacity, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even Galatians 6.16, where it says, and those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The the Reformed uh, replacement theology people will run to this verse and say, so see right here, Paul is saying the church is the Israel of God. Well, is he? (laughs) <laughs> or is he just mentioning the, the true Israel of God, those who believe in Christ today, who believe in Christ as the Messiah, are the true Israel of God. Jewish believers in Christ are the Israel of God that, that Paul is mentioning there. After all, if God can break his word to the nation of Israel. We've talked about these promises. We saw that on our, on our, uh, one of our opening slides, the kingdom plan for God is all based on promises that he made to Israel. He's promised them a land. He's promised them uh, a ruler. He's promised them the forgiveness of their sins. If he can break his promises to them, he can certainly break his promises to us, but he won't. He will keep his promises to the nation of Israel. They do in fact have a future with the Lord 
we see that future beginning to be described here in Revelation chapter 7. We see it happening today before our very eyes with the formation of a literal nation of Israel and, and Jewish people flooding from around the world, flooding into Israel. We see the beginning of this happening. God will most certainly keep his word to Israel. Paul says in Romans 11, verse 25, for I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Romans 9, 10, and 11, very much being about Israel. Paul makes that very clear. He's talking about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, physical Israelites. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved just as it is written the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has promised to take away the sins of the Jewish people. And that will happen one day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The Jewish people will trust in Christ and he will fulfill all of his promises to them. If he, if he can decide to not do that for them. He can decide to not do things for us like he's promised. Like John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. If you have believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the assurance from the God of the universe, God and creator of the universe, that you have eternal life. The nation of Israel has the promise that they will have the forgiveness of their sins. They will have their land the way God promised it to them. If he could break his word to Israel, he could break his word concerning John chapter 10 and verse 27, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. God will keep his word to Israel. He will keep his word to us. And we see uh, a portion of the nation of Israel being described here in Revelation chapter 7 as some of those people who will be able to stand at during the tribulation. Who is able to stand? The first group is this 144,000 bond servants of God. Next week, we will see the results of their uh, service to the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this ancient text uh, that we find in the book of Revelation, these incredible truths that describe the future of this world. I pray that these 
truths would encourage us in the things that we enjoy as church age believers, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, protection uh, for our very souls, which is so much more important than physical protection in this life. We have the seal of your Holy Spirit that guarantees us eternal life and hope and a future with you. I pray that these truths would encourage us, edify us, and, and that your Holy Spirit would empower us to serve you with the time that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.